Hi, Pastor Mike Fabara is here. In August 2024, you're invited to join me on a seven-day cruise to Alaska. Delve into God's Word while taking in the rugged beauty of the Alaskan coast. Visit focalpointministries.org slash Alaska. Today on Focal Point with Pastor Mike Fabares. We as Christians of all people should be proud of the God who made us and the Christ that redeemed us and be able to say, hey, we're the people that have something to be proud of. We ought to be much more proud of the fact that we stand with the crucified Christ. And I'm not talking about the Christ of your imagination or the Christ of liberal denominations that neglect the picture, the clear picture of Christ in the pages of scripture. I'm talking about being proud of the Christ that exists, being proud of the God who is. probably noticed that the cost of following Christ is going up. As the culture turns against the Bible and those who adhere to a biblical worldview, it's going to take more and more courage to be identified with Christ. Today on Focal Point, Pastor Mike Fabares urges us to stand up and declare our allegiance with God. I'm Dave Drury. Now open your Bible to Acts chapter 8, verse 36, and listen to Pastor Mike Fabares with the start of a message called, Courage to be Identified with Christ. Well, as we study the book of Acts, I'm sure at times you've thought about what it must have been to be there and to be a part of the church as it was growing from a small group of 120 to 3,000, 5,000, I mean, 10,000 if you count families. It must have been something to have been a Christian in either Antioch or Jerusalem there in the early days of the church. But it was a much different reality in the third century in Rome when Diocletian, the emperor, was bloodthirsty and on a rampage against Christians. That, that, that was a whole different kind of experience. And if you think back recently, in the 20th century, living somewhere in the Bible Belt, it was one thing to live the Christian life out there when the culture was very affirming, but it's another to live here in Southern California in the 21st century when culture is uh, ramping up its rampage against what we are and what we believe. There are always going to be times like that in Christian history where you're going to have difficulties where Christians necessarily need to work harder at counting the cost of following Christ and being resolved to count that cost and to say, we're going to pay it, whatever it is. Because if we are not willing to do that, if we are afraid, if we are gripped by timidity or cowardice, then we're going to go underground, we're going to retreat, we're going to be quiet, we're going to sit down, and we're going to shut up when God has asked us to stand up and speak up. And that is going to make us altogether inadequate, and it will make us practically useless to accomplishing all that Christ has set us in our generation to do, to advance the gospel, to advance the cause of Christ in our generation. So we can't let that happen. And thankfully, God has given us many good examples, and there are plenty of them when we think about them, the three uh, Hebrew slaves in the book of Daniel, Daniel himself, the lion's den, uh, even Peter before the Sanhedrin. But Many people miss a very powerful character here that is an example to us. It's an emboldening kind of example here in Acts chapter 8. As we reach the end of our series, the Ethiopian eunuch, we don't even know his name, but if you really think about what it took for him to do what we're about to read that he did, this was huge. He was the kind of person with everything to lose, rich and powerful in the nation of Ethiopia, 
And he had everything in that position given to him in terms of, of privilege and power, and he risked all of that to stop everything, to say, no, I'm going to stand with Christ. In contrast to the not quite as rich young ruler that Jesus encountered, who when he counted the cost wasn't willing to follow, here was this Ethiopian eunuch that was willing to follow if no one else was going to stand with him. And frankly, by the end of our narrative here in the last verses of Acts chapter 8, he is by himself and there is no one else. God takes Philip away. And we have an incredible reminder that would be helpful for Romans in the third century or Americans in the 21st century to help us get through our week and the rest of our Christian life as things get very difficult for us. So I want you to look at this text with me in Acts chapter 8. We're going to look at the end of this chapter. We've been working through it. We've reached verse 36. And I want to show you the enthusiasm as you remember the context as Philip has been called into the chariot to explain the messianic overtones of Isaiah 53. And after it says there in verse number 35, Philip had opened his mouth beginning with this scripture, Isaiah 53, that he was reading. He told him the good news, the gospel about Jesus. Verse 36. As they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? Verse 38. And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. Philip found himself at Azotos, which is the Old Testament city of Ashdod. It's about 20 miles north from where they apparently were, about a half day's walk if you're hoofing it. And he passed through and he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. So he's moving up the Mediterranean coast to Caesarea where we find him several chapters later. Apparently he takes up residence there. That's about 55 miles further north than Ashdod or what was now called in the New Testament times uh, Azotos. I want to use this example that I do think takes probably more courage than we would imagine to say, stop the chariots. Uh, I've come to the realization that Jesus is the Christ. I recognize my need to be cleansed and washed, as the Old Testament prophet said in Ezekiel, from my sin to be made clean. I, I, I need that. I'm going to repent, and I'm going to follow the truth of the gospel of Christ. And he was willing to do that in front of all of his colleagues, in front of all of his servants, in front of all of those that were his bodyguards, all those who were guarding the treasure of the caravan, and say, I'm going to go down into this water here with Philip, and I'm going to be, I'm going to come out soaking wet, I'm going to take off my royal robes, and I'm going to stand with Christ. It's important for us, I just put it down this way, if you're taking notes, number one, for us to be quick to identify with Christ, because how quick can that be? He gets to the place of getting the good news, apparently responding well to the good news, and he says, I'm ready. I'm going to stop, get everybody to watch me. I'm going to go down and do what Christ said. I've been made a disciple, and disciples are to be baptized in water, and he identifies with Christ. Now, baptism in water is one specific expression of identifying with Christ, but I just want to think just generally about the idea of being identified with Christ, and I think some of us have been unafraid, much like those in John chapter 12 who believed what Christ said, but I don't really know that I want to be identified with Christ. Matter of fact, let me read this to you at the end of John chapter 12, Jesus said there was a lot of people there that uh, are believing the words. He'd just gotten done teaching, but they were afraid, John writes, to confess it. They were afraid to profess it. They were afraid to tell people because they were afraid they would be put out of the synagogue. Now, here is the divine commentary on that. 
in John 12, 43. He said, it's because they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. Wow. That's painful diagnosis of the problem. That I'd much rather have the glory or the applause or the adulation or the approval of the world, of people in this world, than I would of, of God. That's not a good diagnosis. That's a bad thing, particularly when you recognize who you're comparing your concern with. You've got people, that's, I don't know, seemingly important, could affect my job, could affect my relationships, could affect my day, my week, my year, could affect the rest of my life, or God, God's approval. The reason that a lot of us are timid, and frankly, to use a biblical category, to be cowards before our generations, because we care very much about what they think. And Jesus says, well, that's a natural thing. You should care what people think, but you ought to care a lot more about what God thinks. And I know a lot of you think, I want to hear at the end of my life, well done, good and faithful servant. I'd like that to be God's commentary on me. Well, I'd like that too, but I know that's not going to happen if I care more about what people think of me. And, and frankly, we've just got to get down to the place where we say, why does it matter so much to us? Why does it frankly matter more to us what people think than what God thinks? And I suppose because if your relationship with God is one that puts everything out there in some ethereal, distant, you know, faraway place to where God and the reality of his coming kingdom is no big deal to you, at least it's no real deal to you, then of course you're going to default by saying, if this doesn't advance my adulation, applause, and acceptance, and approval in the world, then I'm not going to do it even though I know somewhere in the distance in some foggy imagination of mine, I have a sense of being approved by God, and I'd like that when I go to church on the weekend, I think about it, but I don't know, not a big deal. Should be a big deal because here's what Jesus taught about himself. One day, the Son of Man is going to sit on his glorious throne. He's going to gather the people before him, and he's going to separate the nations and the peoples the way that a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he's going to say to those here on his right that he calls sheep, enter in to the kingdom the kingdom of my father prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Here it is. All the blessings, all the good, here, you get to go in. And he'll say to those on his left, depart from you, accursed ones, into the eternal fire that was prepared for you for the devil and his angels. That's a hard truth, but I didn't say it and I didn't come up with it. Jesus said it and he said, you ought to think about who really has the power here. Whose glory do you care about? Whose applaud and approval do you care about? Because when it comes down to it, the world has no real power. I know they think they do. But for you to please your cultural trendsetters or the politicians or the people in culture that have some kind of sway over the things you tweet online really doesn't matter because one day every leader, every cultural elite is going to have their forehead to the ground, bowing before Christ and confessing with their mouth that Jesus is Lord. At that point, it'll be too late for them to enter into the kingdom. But everyone's going to confess it. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. All of them, in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. The picture of those that are saved and those that are not saved, it won't matter. Every demon will confess it. Everyone will confess it. Satan himself will confess it. And he has the power to separate us into two groups. And he's got the power for us to enter into the kingdom without any reference to our sin, with complete forgiveness. I'd like to be on the side of that person because he has all authority, all dominion, all power, and he'll have all riches honor. Talk about glory. He's got all the glory. I, I care much more, I should at least, about the one who has that kind of power than the ones that only have temporal power in my life. And so often we're so fearful 
about what people think. I say it all the time, but you want to be on the right side of history, you got to think past the next 10, 20 years. You got to start thinking about 2,000 years from now. You want to be on the right side of history, you'd better bow the knee to Christ, and you ought to say unashamedly, I'm, I'm standing with him. And speaking of that, let me create a little axiom that's created in other areas of the Christian life when it comes to being ashamed or not ashamed. We'll read 1 John, for instance, where it says that we love because he first loved us. And that's a good thing. It's a motivating thing to think, Christ loved me, I need to love him and his children. That's a good thing. It's a motivating thing. But let me recommend to you, here's an axiom for you, that you ought to not be ashamed of Christ in this world because he was not ashamed of you. That's a biblical principle. Hebrews chapter 2 says he was not ashamed to call you his brothers, and that's why the Son of Man put on human form and dwelt among us because he was going to be identified with you. He was not ashamed of that. Before we get out of the book of Hebrews, by chapter 11, the Father now is depicted as one who says he's not ashamed to be called these people's God. I'm your God, and I'm not ashamed of that. I'll be called your God. I have the Father and the Son in the book of Hebrews clearly saying I'm not ashamed of you. And I would say this, if he wasn't ashamed of us, we should not be ashamed of him. Well, ashamed, ashamed, it sounds like you're quoting scripture here. Well, I am, but the verse that you think I'm quoting, I don't want to quote, because <laughs> it's not a fun verse to quote. And that is between the two bookends of thinking about a Christ who came who was not ashamed and a God who's not ashamed of the people he redeems and sets his love on, it is something for me to live my life without shame, but I know this, he said to me very clearly, listen, if uh, you are ashamed of me in this sinful and perverse generation, well, then the Son of Man is going to be ashamed of you. No guarantee of the fact that he won't be unless I am willing to, in this generation, say, it doesn't matter the damned generation that I lived in, the damned generation that I'm a part of, the damned culture that I'm a part of. If I'm willing to say, I'm not going to be ashamed of Christ in this generation and his word and his truth, well, then... He's not going to be ashamed of me. But I want to say it's important for us to see that there's no room, no place for cowardice, timidity in the Christian life, and even pastors can fall under that conviction. As Paul says to Timothy, a pastor in Ephesus, a big city, cosmopolitan place, listen, God didn't give us a spirit of timidity. Give us a spirit of power, discipline, love, a sound mind. We ought to have that discipline to be able to stand up and say, I'm going to be resolved no matter how tough it gets, to stand with Christ, where everyone's talking about how prideful they are and how proud they are of their sexual preferences. Think about it. I mean, they want to lead with stuff like that. Think about it. We, as Christians of all people, should be proud of the God who made us and the Christ that redeemed us and be able to say, hey, we're the people that have something to be proud of. We ought to be much more proud of the fact that we stand with the crucified Christ. And I'm not talking about the Christ of your imagination or the Christ of liberal denominations that neglect the picture, the clear picture of Christ in the pages of Scripture. I'm talking about being proud of the Christ that exists, being proud of the God who is. And that means that you and I have got to eschew this kind of timidity, this cowardice. There's no place for that among Christians. It was a lot easier when you lived in the Bible Belt in the 20th century wasn't so bad when you were amassed among this big converted crowd of thousands of people in the first megachurch in Jerusalem, or this big enclave and subculture in Antioch in the first century. But what about the third century? What about so many successes generations where people were persecuted for their faith? Well, we're ramping into that as we often remind ourselves as though we need to, that it's going to get hard for you to identify with Christ, but I'm telling you, you cannot, in the face of the pressure, back down. Just think of how much this man had to lose 
to go back to Candace the queen of Ethiopia and say, hey, I'm a follower of Christ now. All the pagan religions of northeastern Africa, I reject those. I've been reading scripture. I've been going to Jerusalem and reading about the Jewish Messiah. I'm now a follower of the Jewish Messiah. That is an amazing claim for him to make, and it was going to cost him. We can only guess, and there's some speculation about what happened to this man, but man, he's my hero, and he should be yours. If no one else is going to stand with me, I'm going to be there. I'm going to stand with Christ. I'm not going to wait to see how many people in my entourage are going to follow this Christianity thing. I'm going to follow Christ. That's a good thing, important thing. Back to our text. Look at verse 37. You have to be quick to identify with Christ, and I'm going to say this and then try to explain it to you. Number two, if you're taking notes, I have a little exclamation point next to verse 37 if you have the printed worksheet here or the digital worksheet. Can you write this down? Be thankful for honest Bible translations. Be thankful for honest Bible translations. Well, what doesn't seem... Seem like I have an honest Bible translation because I know what number comes after 36 and it ain't 38. There's a 37 in there somewhere and it's missing. If this doesn't worry anyone, I wouldn't talk about it. But it worries some people. So let's talk about it. Let me say a few things. Number one, though I use the word Bible translation because we're all sitting there with a book we call a Bible translation and that's the way we talk about it in the parlance of English and our idioms in Bible translation. Can I say this about why verse 37 is not in your Bible? It is not a translation issue. This is not a translation issue. This is not a translation issue. Let me try and say this clearly. This is not a translation issue. (laughs) Translation, you know what translation is? When I take one language and I turn it into another language, right? That's translation. And people talk about, ignorant people, about, well, the Bible's been translated so many times. Well, it's been translated a lot of times, but a good translation comes from the original languages of the Bible. The Old Testament Jewish text is in Hebrew and parts of it in Aramaic. And then the New Testament is written in Koine or common Greek of the first century. So we have Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. Those are the, the languages of the Bible. And when you translate it into Spanish, how many times has it been translated? Once. When you translate it into English, how many times has it been translated? Once. When you translate it into Latin, how many times has it been translated? Once. All your Bibles are translated once. There's rare exceptions, but no one takes those seriously. We slide it aside and finally find one that's translated once. We translate it one time. And translation issues may be, you know, an issue of whether you call something to dunk or submerge versus baptizo and transliterate it. That's a translation issue. This is not a translation issue. This is what we call a transmission issue. It has nothing to do with your car, but a transmission. How did this text transmit its way in the original language of the Greek New Testament to where then we translate it. Because someone's got to translate Acts chapter 8, and so I'm looking at how do I get from what I have in front of me in the Greek New Testament, translate it one time into English. Well, how did I have this text that either has verse 37 or it doesn't? That's a transmission issue. Example. Do you have any pictures of your grandparents? Do you have any pictures of your grandparents? Do you have any pictures of your grandparents? Yes, some of you have pictures of your grandparents. In the patio when we're having donuts, could you show me a picture of your grandparents? Probably some of you could. You pull out your phone, here's a picture of my grandma, my grandpa. If I said, well, is that really a picture of your grandparents? When the photons of the sun bounced off your grandparents' face and went into that lens and stamped itself on that negative, 
And then it was taken to the five and dime, and it was then it was then processed, and then it was now in this development, it was put onto some kind of photographic paper, and then that photographic paper, we had that, and grandma carried it around, and then it went to your mom, and then it went in her shoebox in the attic, and then you got it, and then it was like you were the first in the family to get a scanner, so you get stuck scanning all the pictures. And so in the 80s or 90s, you scanned it, and then it went into some now defunct, uh, I don't know, cl- service like Flickr or something. You thought, well, now I'm into Google. So then it went from Flickr cloud servers into the Google cloud servers. And then it went down into your phone. Matter of fact, it's not even in your phone yet. You have to download it from the cloud. And then it's on your phone. And then those little digital things you shove in my face by the thing. You say, here's a picture of my grandparents. I go, that ain't a picture of grandparents. It's a reproduction of the picture of grandparents because the picture of grandparents really goes all the way back to that negative. Do you have the negatives? Do you have the negatives? No, I don't have the negatives. Where are the negatives? Well, I don't know. I don't know. My mom probably got rid of them when she put them in the... I don't know where the negatives are. I don't have negatives anymore. But this was taken originally on, a, on some film. Film was a negative inside of a camera. You don't have that. Well, I don't know if I can trust that. No, 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 you can trust it. Well, yeah, but in the process, did it lose anything? Well, sure, there was compression in the software and put in the cloud. But more than that, actually, when I went through the scanning process, I did a lot of things like I you know, was eating Cheetos while I was watching TV and scanning on my flatbed scanner. And so a couple times I got fingerprints on it and actually covered part of my granny's skirt. And so, you know, I do have parts of it and my hair came across and I didn't clean the thing very often. And so, yeah, the, the, the transmission of that from the photons impressed upon that negative that got all the way through all that process to my phone, yeah, you'll see some parts where maybe even the photograph that I scanned, it was cracked, and so there's a little piece missing or torn off. So yeah, what I have on my phone is a picture of my grandparents, but it's a transmitted picture of my grandparents, and through the process, I know, I, I lost a little something, but there it is. It's a good, clear picture. It just, I mean, it's not perfect, but it's, it's a good picture of it. That's transmission. And the question is now, what's going on here? Looks like there's something on this photo that shouldn't be there or something on the photo that got taken off. What's going on? If it's a transmission problem, an issue, then it's not really an issue about uh, the mechanics or software or coding. It's about the people that did it. And the people that did it are human beings and they're called copyists. Or if they were really professional at it, they were called scribes and they had to copy these things by hand because Kinko's was just getting going back then. So they had no way to do this but by hand. So that's the issue. What happened with the copyists? What happened with the scribes? And we'll hear more from Pastor Mike Fabares about the process of transmitting the scriptures when this message continues tomorrow here on Focal Point. It's from a powerful series called Gospel Advance. And today's message is titled, Courage to be Identified with Christ. To listen to the full-length version of this message or any of our other messages, visit our website, focalpointradio.org. We exist to reach, teach, and train followers of Jesus Christ. And to that purpose, Focal Point airs every day on more than 800 radio stations across the country and worldwide. So if you value Pastor Mike's biblical, straightforward, no-nonsense teaching, then I encourage you to help us share these messages with more people by sending in a generous donation today. We rely on God's provision through listeners just like you. And it's the last day of the month, so don't wait. Call and give today. Our number is 888-320-5885 or online go to focalpointradio.org. 
Or if you prefer, write to us at Focal Point, Post Office Box 2850, Laguna Hills, California, 92654. And to thank you for your generous support, we'll send you a book that Pastor Mike has selected by highly regarded apologist and evangelist Josh McDowell and author Thomas Williams titled, How to Know God Exists, Solid Reasons to Believe in God, Discover Truth, and Find Meaning in Your Life. It's a helpful resource to find answers to common questions about faith in Christ. And if you're new to this whole Christianity thing, when you get in touch today, we'll gladly send you a free gift called 100 Prophecies Fulfilled by Jesus. You'll be amazed to discover the 100% accuracy of Bible prophecy and why you can confidently put your trust in God's Word. Request your free gift when you get in touch at focalpointradio.org. Well, I'm your host, Dave Drewy, inviting you back again tomorrow to hear more from Pastor Mike Fabares about the courage to be identified with Christ. That's coming up Thursday on Focal Point. Pastor Mike here. I pray today's message will help you live out your faith with truth and love. After all, that's the kind of biblical faith that changes lives and transforms a crooked culture. But if you haven't truly surrendered your life to Christ, then I'd like to invite you to get in touch. We'd love to pray with you and help you discover God's plan of salvation. Visit focalpointradio.org. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Focal Point Ministries.